I imagine all of you are familiar with the rule of life of Richmond Hill. And we have these little brochures all over the place where they're printed and just made available to you. And one of the principles of our rule of life is healing. Committing one's own life to inner healing and to the healing of the larger community of metropolitan Richmond. I think that healing, along with all of the other 11 principles of our rule, rule is quite uh, important to us. But it is especially heal, uh, important to us because we have the call to promote healing in metropolitan Richmond. And I want to talk with you briefly from the topic, helping with the healing. Helping with the healing. Having been a part of the first seminar of the year for the Cornelia School of Race and Justice this past weekend, and having sat with a couple of folks in the refectory around a conversation about diversity and the divides around our traditions of, in our faith communities, and having been inundated with news of the Kavanaugh saga, there is no question in my mind that despite the progress we can see on many fronts, we are yet a society riddled with exclusion, violence, domination, and institutionalized inequality and oppression. I would go so far as to say that there are behaviors and ways of being that has been so much a part of our lives that we think that they are normal and right. We think that they are God-ordained. Nevertheless, we can clearly see that the choices we must make throughout our lifetime, and especially as children of God, are stark. And one of the greatest choices we have to make is once the light has shone upon us, we can choose to let things continue as usual, or we can choose to let go of what's hindering us. And that hindering is not just for ourselves as individuals, but what's hindering our community. When we consider the lesson Jesus offers here in the text, we can't help but see that there comes a time when we must face the fact that God isn't sanctioning the mess we have created. There comes a time when we must confront ourselves when we choose, as Chad Meyer says, he was the author of The Binding the Strong Man, he says that we have to choose to live in the hell of our addictions or embrace the fire of recovery. This gospel lesson continues the theme of Jesus instructing disciples who had failed to grasp the understanding that the kingdom of God is a way of life that calls us into question, calls into question the thinking of this world. This lesson invites us to confront the stumbling blocks that we can so easily, knowingly or unknowingly, place in the lives of others, especially the vulnerable in our society. Jesus is making it known that the stumbling blocks of which he speaks are not always as obvious as we think. 
Here Jesus was attempting to deconstruct hierarchical powers of all kinds, and he is met with the assertion of who's entitled. And before we become too hard on the first century disciples, we must ask ourselves, is this not a portrait of how we Christians often look at our faith traditions as having membership in elite clubs? Think for a moment about the things those other Christians do that drive us crazy, that we can't accept, that's weird, because they are not a part of our group or they don't do it the way we do it. This portion of Jesus' discourse ends with Jesus telling his disciples how important it is to be salt. When we consider the salt of which Jesus speaks, we understand that Jesus is suggesting that the ultimate goal of being his disciple is to help with the healing. Help with the healing of our communities, of this world, of our society. Despite the fact that there are several critical points that Jesus makes in this brief uh, text, I want to lift up those that seem to aim at the goal of healing. Healing, first of all, must include reconciliation. Healing is especially important to faith communities. We here at Richmond Hill know what it means to be called to the Minister of Healing. Some of us remember when the bumper sticker, Help with the Healing, was popular here in Richmond. We still have some in the bookstore, uh, if anybody's wondering. But what that bumper sticker says to me is that we, as a community, has decided that we are to be salt in the earth. So to help with the healing, Jesus calls us to a pattern of living that overcomes evil, reaches out in love and compassion, and remains relevant. Now, though Jesus demonstrates his tolerance of an outsider, more important than his tolerance of outsiders is that Jesus is concerned with overcoming evil. And if we're going to be true disciples of Jesus Christ, we must do the same. Jesus critiques the disciples on their practice of exclusivism and their need to pay attention to their own behavior. Jesus exerts that powerful deeds of healing should be welcomed wherever they come from and by whomever practice them. For indeed, those who are not against us are for us. To overcome the evil among us, we too must ask ourselves, who is with us on this journey? By no means can we claim an exclusive authority over the practices of justice and compassion. And to make it easier to help us to grasp this even further, Jesus goes on to explain that when the very thing we hold dear to or believe that will lead us to a more abundant, abundant life becomes instead a stumbling block to someone else, it leads to a death of unquenchable fire. He critiques the disciples on their practice of exclusivism, their need to pay attention to their own behavior, and that they themselves were in danger of becoming, being a harm to someone else. When the very thing we hold dear 
or believe will lead us to abundant life becomes a stumbling block of in somebody else's life, we have to pay attention to that. Jesus is always reaching out in love and compassion. And as disciples, we must do the same. It was, I was struck by the fact that the unknown exorcists seemed to have gained an understanding that the disciples who were following Jesus had not yet grasped. Not only had they themselves been unable to heal the epileptic boy that was spoken of earlier in the scriptures, which would have been a big deal, Jesus makes it known that even the smallest of deeds done in faith and in the name of Jesus will not go unrewarded. For truly, I tell you, Jesus says, whoever gives you a cup of water to drink because you bear the name of Christ will by no means lose their reward. So those who dare to offer us a cool, water, cool cup of water on this hot, dusty road called life might be strangers to us. They may be outsiders to us. But in the eyes of Jesus, they too are received as helping with the healing. A hand, a foot, an eye. These are things we think we need. There are things we think we cannot do without. There are things that we consider to be dear to us. And Jesus uses the hand, the foot, and the eye as an object lesson to demonstrate what he is teaching to the disciples. In essence, what we all learn from this is that the real problem isn't what, what's outside of us. The real problem are those things that are part of us, the things that we hold so dear. And it doesn't matter if they are body parts, our practices, our habits, or our traditions. These things can be dangerous to living for Christ. And they can be things that we must get rid of, things that have to be severed. When we look at this text, it seemed that Jesus used some over-the-top, bold, all-cap letters in his text. <laughs> Illustrations he's making to get to the point. If any of you put a stumbling block before one of these little ones who believe in me, it would be better if, you, if a great millstone were hung around your neck and you were thrown into the sea. That's saying a lot. If your hand causes you to stumble, cut it off. If your foot causes you to stumble, cut it off. If your eye causes you to stumble, tear it out. You know, anyone who knows anything about recovering from addiction knows that kicking habits is very much like cutting off a part of yourself. Such an amputation is like life-saving surgery on the cancer of our illusions and our appetites. In his book, Addiction and Grace, Gerald May writes, in his struggle with addiction involves deprivation. And he goes on to say, every false prop is vulnerable to relinquishment. 
Recovery is a life or death discipline, and Jesus' metaphor captures that urgency. We see here that Jesus' concern for the vulnerable is more important than what's dear to us or what we think we can't live without. We might think that there's nothing worse than losing a hand or a foot or an eye, but Jesus is saying, yes, there is. Causing another to stumble is much worse than being maimed, lame, or half-blind. As a matter of fact, the message is, it is better to be deformed than it is to conform. Especially if our conforming results in the more vulnerable members of our society being harmed. We hear also in this lesson that if we're going to help with the healing, we must seek to remain relevant. Jesus makes it clear that the possibility exists that one can come to a point when one's true identity or flavor is lost. Salt is good, but if salt has lost its saltiness, how can you season it? Have salt in yourselves and be at peace with one another. You know, just as good can come from the outside, stumbling blocks can come from the inside. They can come from the inside of any one of us as individuals, and they can come from the inside of any one of our faith communities or our social circles. Ironically, it is not the outsider the sinner who is being warned of the worm that doesn't die or the fire that refuses to be quenched. It is Jesus' disciples, those who are in community with Jesus. And Jesus makes it clear that the possibility exists that even the chosen among us can come to a point where their true identity, their purpose, their flavor is lost. We are called brothers and sisters, to remain relevant. So in closing, I want to share with you that as I looked at this, I see that it is entirely appropriate to healing, to nonviolence, and to the deconstruction of apostasy. And I missed to conclude with a reminder to work toward conflict resolution, to work toward reconciliation, and to work to establish unity and peace within our community. Jesus says, have salt in yourselves and be at peace with one another. I contend that Jesus would have us hear that any good from the outside must be affirmed and any bad from the inside must be cut away. Now, I know that when we consider all that this lesson holds for us, some of us might wonder, where is the good news in all of that? Lest we forget, Jesus never fails to leave us with a ray of hope. Even though many of us might find the image of being thrown into hell where a worm never dies and the fire never quenches, we may find that repulsive. We should not abandon the idea of morality and justice. 
Even though the demonstrative language is not attractive to many of us, the basic notion of divine judgment is of central importance because it reminds us that God is by nature holy and just. It reminds us that we live in a world that was created to be holy and moral and not created to promote injustice and degradation. These things have lasting significance and they will eventually come back to haunt us all. We must not lose hold of the morality of God. Have salt in yourselves, be at peace with one another. I would say that this admonishment is to be taken more corporately than individually. A community or nation will die and ultimately decompose when the salt of the gospel is no longer found in their midst. Peace requires putting our privileges, our egos, and our preferences in check and respect one another. If we lose our purpose to honor and reflect God, in whose image we are created. If we fail to reflect the call of Christ in our lives, if we are like salt that has lost its saltiness, its flavor, then we have to ask ourselves, what good are we? We are called into a universal engagement against the powers of darkness. If we fail to reflect the call of Christ in our lives, we are like salt that has lost its saltiness. We are called into a universal engagement to combat evil and injustice. We are called to serve one another in love and compassion, and ultimately we are called to help with the healing. And we are not a people without a promise. Now, this statement that Jesus makes about the worm that doesn't die and the fire that doesn't quench, if that's never quenched, is taken from Isaiah. So to, to, just to have a context for why Jesus would say that, I went back and looked at that passage of Scripture and even the preceding chapter, in chapter 6 to 5, and into chapter 6 where these words are found, we see that God has declared that our living, that even though we may live among those who are dead in our sight, that he will invoke a blessing on the land. And those who bless shall bless by the God of faithfulness. And whoever takes an oath in the land shall swear by the God of faithfulness. Because the former troubles are forgotten and are hidden from our sight. For I am about to create a new heaven, God says, a new heaven and a new earth. The former things shall not be remembered or come to mind. But be glad and rejoice forever in what I'm creating. For I am about to create Jerusalem as a joy and his people as a delight. And you know, Paul picks up on this in first century uh, Philistine, when he speaks to the Philippians, he says, Be anxious for nothing, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be known to God, and the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. 
and sisters and brothers, whatever things are true, whatever things are noble, whatever things are just, whatever things are pure, whatever things are lovely, whatever things are of good report, if there is any virtue and if there is anything praiseworthy, meditate on these things. For we are called not to separate. We are called to be inclusive, not exclusive. But more than anything, we are called to help with the healing. Amen. Amen. Amen.